welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Quit. So when this episode was pitched to me, Birch knew exactly what he was doing to get my attention. I frequently talk about how discounting is bad and brands should ditch the discounts. Birch pitched the exact opposite, about how brands can benefit from strategic discounting. Of course, I had to get him on the podcast to talk about this. I'm not against discounting exactly if there's a good reason for it. I just don't like when brands send out 20% off promos every single week. So let's get Birch on now to explain. Hi, Birch. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Would you mind just giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself, your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, well, firstly, thanks a lot for having me. I know it took a little while for us to kind of connect and finally jump on this call, but it's a great pleasure for me to be here. So starting with my kind of like occupation, let's say, I currently am the CEO and co-founder of a software startup called Pricing. Well, I mean, startup might not be the best word for it because we have been around for almost 10 years. So it's actually a honestly a well-established global software company as of now, serving hundreds of clients across 60 countries in the field of pricing automation. And by that, I mean, we automatically benchmark our clients' prices against the competition. And on top of that competitive intelligence, we help them to discount and actually reprice their products in a more competitive and profitable way. So after all, it's really helping them to achieve higher profit margins, more sales volumes, etc. And I interestingly got into this business mostly by maybe like by accident, I would say, because like about 10 years ago or so, I was literally recovering from another failed startup. So I was technically broke. I needed some like really money. But instead of just like getting some job or something, I started to talk to a few of my college friends, let's say friends from university. And I noticed that they were all kind of getting jobs or maybe starting up companies in the field of e-commerce. And that's how I actually came across the field of e-commerce. And on a day-to-day basis, they were complaining to me about the competition in their market. So they were like mostly in online retail business, so selling others' goods, like supplied goods and stuff. And I observed that they are wasting a ton of time on competitor checks. So they were like smart, bright guys, educate, well-educated, but they were literally sitting in front of computer, checking all the Google Chrome tabs of the competition, copying and pasting different price points into an Excel file, and then... Ideally, on a daily, maybe like my daily basis, they were then coming up with new price points for their own web shops, which then becomes obsolete because the competitor might also change the price in a second or so. So I noticed that this actually is a common task and actually kind of pitch to do this on behalf of them at the fraction of the cost that actually it costs them. And that's how I actually started like freelancing basically on this task of competitive intelligence. I did this for a couple of months, like maybe more than a year. And then I noticed that this actually should be a software. So this shouldn't really be my efforts. And that's why we decided to set up a startup, a software company around this idea. And the rest is basically taking us today. Ah, awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's it sounds exactly like how a lot of SaaS companies come about, right? Like there is a, obviously there's a problem in the market, e- either the founders having it or, or people they know. And they build a solution to fix it, or it gets spun out of something, right? I think a lot of agencies end up building tools, don't they? Because they build those tools internally for their agency and then say, well, maybe other people want them. Let's sell it to them. So do you want to just tell us a little bit more about the tool and how it works? Sure. Well, as I briefly introduced, it helps e-commerce merchants. And to be specific, it helps online retailers who are selling branded goods. I mean, by branded goods, I mean type of goods that you can simply like Google and end up with tons of results selling the same item at different price points. So all those merchants technically are 
to be honest, competing on price, obviously alongside many other factors like trust, this and that, but eventually from a consumer standpoint, I mean, they are technically competing on price because they are kind of offering the very same thing, a box that contains the stuff to be delivered to your door at different price points. So we help those type of online retailers benchmark their prices against the competition in a 100% automated way rather than those manual checks that I did for the companies or rather than manual checks that companies are already doing internally. So we automate that bit and we don't really stay there, but we actually take a step further from there. And we also help those merchants to come up with automated pricing reactions according to what's going on in the market, thanks to our dynamic pricing engine. So they can technically set up pricing rules by saying stuff like, I would like to be, I don't know, 5%, depending on the pricing position of the client. So they might say, I would like to be 5% higher than the market average, as long as I have 10% profit margin. So we really don't push the client to be the cheap. I mean, probably this is an ongoing debate. So we don't really try to create a race to the bottom all the time, but we really try to automate whatever comes to the mind of the merchants. So whatever their pricing strategy we technically automate that rather than actually doing this in a manual way compared to the market. So after they set up these rules, we then follow kind of basic calculations depending on competition prices. And then we automatically trigger price changes on the web shop of our client, either on Shopify, Magento, or other platforms. So it's competitive price tracking plus dynamic repricing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I know something I talk about a lot is don't discount don't promote things too much because you encourage people and they get used to discounting. But I've worked in with retailers as well, and that is the problem. If if you're selling the exact same product to someone else and you've got a reasonably established brand as well as them, a consumer is looking at your two websites and saying, well, I'm going to buy the cheapest. Um, unless you've got some other really good value proposition and a reason for people to buy from you. And that's where I suppose that whole well, we're happy to be 5% more expensive or even 10% because we know we, we've got these other advantages. We know people like us. But I guess there's probably an acceptance that if you ended up 30%, 40% more expensive because you weren't paying attention to this, people are going to say, well, I'm happy to take a risk on these other guys because or you know, it might not even be a risk if they know the brand. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, we, without really any automation, any guidance, any competitive intelligence in place, yeah, you are absolutely right. You risk kind of being either underpriced, which is the worst. I mean, in, in that case, you will probably make loss out of each and every sale because you won't be actually monitoring your costs and everything. So it's kind of a downward spiral. But the other side is also kind of overpricing yourself without really any kind of justification. So you don't really sell anything at all. So you actually sit on a dead stock. So the software, and actually the whole idea is really to avoid any kind of underpricing or overpricing and really finding the sweet spot for your, I don't know, business strategy, for your branding positioning and all that. And in most cases, to be honest, like since we mostly deal with small, medium-sized businesses, without very powerful like branding power like Amazon's, etc. of their markets, pricing is really mostly mentioned as the main decision criteria among the buyers, personas. So they're actually really setting things up as competitive as possible while also maintaining a certain profitability is the sweet spot. Yeah, cool. So I want to just kind of break the conversation into two a bit, focus on the good and the bad. So I think to start with, like, let's talk about what I guess why and when a discount's bad for a brand. What are the mistakes brands make? Yeah, let's kind of go into that side, the bad side of discounting. Where can it go wrong? 
Firstly, let me start by admitting that there are bad sides of discounting. So I think that's also something that we should discuss and we should agree to, uh, in the first place. And I agree with you on that. So discounting can go really bad. Firstly, when you don't care about your costs at all. I mean, discounting is supposed to improve your sales. It's actually a business tactic, right? So it should really like benefit your business after all. If you're doing something for your business, it should be a tactic that should then result in a good way. But if you discount so heavily that you actually hit the cost threshold and you start actually making loss out of that, that's obviously the worst thing that you can do with a discount. So not monitoring your costs at all is the worst of all. And the other thing is that actually leaving money on the table when that's not really necessary. For example, in some cases, I see merchants discounting while it's not necessary. For example, we actually just recently came across a client that we just onboarded at pricing and they were not using any sort of competitive pricing monitoring tool before using ours. And they were always using, I don't know, blanket discounting. By that, I mean 20% off across the whole assortment, for example, without knowing how they stand in the market. And then we on, when we onboarded them, we noticed that all those 20% discounted items were almost like 25%, 30% cheaper than the cheapest competition. So even without those 20% discounts, they were already the cheapest. So they were already okay to kind of come out and say that we have great prices, but they were already undercutting their already great prices. So that discounting is leaving really a lot of money on the table because I think that further 20% discount don't really move your sales volume any further because they are at maximum because you have the best prices. So I think leaving money on the table really is the, uh, the other bad thing that you can end up with a uh, discounting. Uh, that's, that's key. In, in that case, I guess like two options come to mind, right? Firstly is increase your pricing, put it back up to, to kind of where the market is and then strategically discount. Or I suppose the other option could be maybe put the price up a little bit, but just own the fact that you are the cheapest, right? Be happy being 10, 15% cheaper than everyone else and own it. Like talk about that, but then don't continue to discount because you're going to struggle to. Exactly. Well, I mean, since I mentioned in the beginning, I mean, I am absolutely against a race to the bottom and people don't really get that. But, you know, let me give you a statistic. So about 60, 61% of all the price changes that we do with our software are actually price increases of that sort, like I mentioned. So we are not really discounting automatically on behalf of our clients, but we are mostly correcting their prices upwards while they are also trying to be the cheapest or near to the cheapest price. But, you know, Without any data, you kind of have this fear of missing out of that best position and you discount and discount to a point where it's actually unsustainable. But if you really have the data in hand and if you really can see what's going on in the market, you can really gain a lot of profit margin. Actually, you can stop leaving money on the table and keep that in your pocket technically. So that's pretty crucial. Another thing that I also see with our clients where discounting makes no sense and it's actually a terrible strategy is while they are sitting on a limited stock or they are going almost out of stock. So I think managing pricing or managing discounting without really considering your inventory levels is also a big failure in e-commerce strategy. For example, I see so many merchants who are still keeping their lowest price point, discounted price points while they're almost about to go out of stock and it will take some time to replenish those goods. So essentially, they fall into a situation where they, for example, sell out real quick and they actually stand out of stock for, let's say, three weeks time, two weeks time, or maybe a day. 
and then they actually replenish and start selling instead of having the product fully in stock throughout the replenishment period and then selling it at full price and having more profit margins. So this is also another mistake that I come across. Yeah, I think a lot of brands don't actually automate that process of not advertising products that are out of stock, right? So yeah, you're going to have brands who are not only have they discounted probably popular sellers, right? If they're going out of stock, it means they're popular, they're selling. So they're continuing to discount those, but then they're probably going to waste a load of money driving traffic to a page that doesn't actually have a product available. Yeah, and, and another dive, I mean, now we are talking about our own stock and by using technology like ours or maybe other competitive intelligence tools, you can also see what's going on in the inventory levels or actually availabilities, let's say, of your competitors. So you can also see whether your competitors are in stock or out of stock for certain, let's say, items. And if, for example, a certain very popular item goes out of stock across the market, you should really stop discounting because there is an excessive demand and you will sell anyways. So why would you discount really? So I think one key thing that I might highlight here is really thinking inventory and pricing altogether. So they are very adjacent to each other. They should really kind of dictate each other in both ways, to be honest. So if you are also, I will come to that maybe in the advantages of discounting, but if you are sitting on that stock, their discounting can really help. But yeah, I think they are really adjacent. Yeah, and I suppose maybe this is the good part, but do you provide any like signals to the business about this sort of stuff in like, rather than just automatically changing pricing or doing stuff there, could you say to a business, just to let you know, it looks like everyone else is out of stock and you're the only people in the market that have stock. You firstly want to remove your discounts on this, but secondly, you could be pushing the messaging. The only place in the UK you can buy yeah, we actually have, and maybe I skipped that part real quick. So in the first place, we are a monitoring tool. So we all display everything in a date, dashboard and everything. And then if the client prefers, we also provide the automation dimension. So if they would like to fully automate everything, we use our own data, automate everything. So people don't really monitor the data any longer because they already automate things. But some people prefer staying at the monitoring level. And alerting is kind of the top of the monitoring aspect where we also send email alerts, for example, when we detect certain discounts across competition. So if, for example, a competitor goes into a discount while we are not at discount and if they beat us on price, for example, our users get alerts. And likewise, just as you said, we also send similar alerts when we detect a competitor going out of stock for an item or the opposite. So let's say we were actually enjoying this brief period of time while all the competitors were out of stock. And let's say a day later, the competitor kind of replenished the item and they also entered the market back again with a different price point. We all also alert our clients back. And exactly as you said, some of our clients also use, for example, these stock signals in their email campaign. So send, they send, for example, occasional email blasts kind of saying that, well, we still have stock for this popular item. So why don't you just visit our web shop while all the others are out of stock and just buy it from us? So I, I really came across this quite a few times, really. Yeah, it's a really interesting use case. I wouldn't have thought about that until you mentioned it, because yeah. I, I suppose it, it partly because the conversations we've had, it has been a little bit more focused on the discounting side. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's it's a really interesting use case. I, I kept that part for the podcast, really. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, th that's the surprise. Yeah. Cool. So just before we move to the good, then, are, are there any other kind of mistakes with discounting, obviously, we've talked about like margins mm -hmm. and things and the stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like 
along the lines, I also mentioned this blanket discounting thing. I think it also deserves a few sentences maybe. So I also see brands, I think for the sake of easiness or maybe for the sake of, I don't know, let's say simplicity, they occasionally come up with a blanket discounting where they set up 20% off for all the items where the margins of all those products are different. The, let's say, willingness to buy, willingness to pay for those items are different, but we still apply the very same discounting for those products. I think that's also a big mistake. Like for me, and actually for e-commerce, all products are actually created differently when it comes to their pricing attractiveness, pricing positioning, etc. So I think they should be all treated differently, or at least they should be categorized accordingly, segmented accordingly, and then they should be discounted by groups. For example, 5% for these items, but maybe 50% off for those low ticket items where we have a lot of profit margins. So I think this is also something worth maybe like working on. And by working on, I mean segmenting your products depending on their profit margins, their, I don't know, price elasticity. By that, I mean sensitivity of the buyers depending on your price changes. For example, if a product is actually seeing a tremendous spike of sales volume when you discount, I mean, we can really tag and we can really categorize that product as a very price sensitive item. But if there's an item that doesn't see that much of spikes when you discount and so on, we can tag that item as insensitive. So for example, for those insensitive ones, we don't necessarily need to have this 20% regular discount or at all, but just maybe for the sake of marketing or whatever, you can say five pounds off, $5 off, et cetera, just a symbolic discount. So all in all, I think another mistake in discount is really this blanket discounting thing, which I hate. Yeah. I suppose this is probably what you were talking about, but do you, can you price optimize to basically well, opt- optimize for profit, right? So let's say your product is being discounted at 20% and it's selling reasonably well. Can you kind of start dropping that discount a bit so that maybe it's 17%, 15%, see how that affects the rate of sale and compared to marginal product and profit and then say, well, actually, we, we can be we can price this at here, right? So I- ignoring the whole, not necessarily focusing too much on the market side, but saying like, if everyone else is not doing a sale or whatever, we think this is the ideal price point for this product. And then maybe you do some obviously shifting based on... Yeah, well, very frankly, that was the vision for the software in day one. So really kind of guiding the pricing behavior of our clients for the sake of maximum profit margins, etc. But, you know, I think there is that's a technological challenge that we are addressing, to be honest. And that's really in our roadmap, kind of incorporating some degree of meaningful degree of, let's say, AI into the engine so that it won't just necessarily follow whatever is provided by the user in terms of rules and everything, but it's really kind of going to slightly improvise, let's say. But the thing is, since we mostly deal with small, medium-sized businesses, and since the data is not really big data in most cases, I think coming up with an AI solution is not necessarily performing better than those rules set by our users. I think it's really kind of a technological dilemma. But yeah, absolutely got your point. We, I mean, we, for example, emphasize that thinking to our clients in, in the rule setting part. For example, our customer success teams are clo- in close touch with them. So they actually kind of, kind of encourage our clients towards price testing. So for example, for a week, we encourage them to set 20%, let's say profit margin. Then we try 15%, then 10%, and then 
compare sales volumes, profit volumes, etc., and then try to kind of come up with, for example, 16.7, for example. But these are all Excel calculations, etc. At some point, we really would like to get this in the software, but it's easier said than that. I, I worked with a shoe retailer, right? There's going to be at least a mm. dozen big competitors for them. It's probably not worth spending the time trying to work out what their most profitable point to because yeah, yeah. And also the thing is, let's say you came up with the optimum profit margin with today's market prices, today's competitor prices, but in a kind of minute, a competitor just changed their prices. So you need to recalculate and then yeah. so on. So it's it really becomes too dynamic if there's the right way to put it. I mean, while you're trying to do dynamic pricing, you should also care about UX, obviously. So you shouldn't be changing prices like the stock exchanges and etc. So it should be a few times a day uh, on a daily basis rather than just in every second. So that's actually a pretty tricky problem to be solved. I don't want to go into this too much. We can move on to the good in a sec. But I suppose it, it probably works maybe a little bit better for the guys who are trying to price higher and say, we, we don't want to be the bottom of the market. But what is that percent point? pricing point above the, the rest of the market that we can sell well at and we can make decent money from, at what point do we kind of lose a bit of money that we don't think we need to? And at what point do we lose sales that we don't want to? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I think with data, they can confidently position themselves. So that's exactly a good point. I think we really work with a lot of clients in this situation who are not really trying to be the price leaders in their markets, but instead they really try to sustain maintain a consistent pricing across the board. So their client base also know that they are not the cheapest in the market, but they are not also, for example, 50% higher or 30% higher, but mostly around 10% higher. And they also provide some other, for example, value adds. So they actually maintain a kind of expected price point. So with data, that's possible. And also for those guys, they still also try to be the price leader for some of their assortments. So I mean, we call these key value items. For example, let's say, I mean, this is the most common example, but for example, you are a consumer electronics retailer and you are not really trying to be the cheapest across all the assortments, but maybe some items are like, I don't know, AirPods, I don't know, iPhones, etc., are really the key value items where, for example, if you achieve the price leadership, you will kind of create an image in the eyes of the merchants, sorry, consumers, so that they will come and buy anything from your store for example, you can bundle accessories like higher profit margin items alongside those price leader key value items. And by bundling those two, you can still get a decent profit margin. This is also a key use case we try to solve for those merchants. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess continue with the theme of the good stuff then, because we're talking about it already. But yeah, like, well, the question was why and when are discounts good? And I think we've talked about it a bit, but yeah, so do, you, do you want to add more to that? Yeah, I mean, I think just starting off from where I left off, I mean, if we have certain key value items in our market, in our assortment, very price sensitive items, obviously trying to kind of maintain a premium position for those items won't help you succeed. So you really need the best price in the market to get customers click actually for those items. So I think that discounting makes a lot of stack and actually discounting continuously makes a lot of sense. And actually by continuously, I mean, I don't mean like, always downwards, but something like dynamic pricing. So occasionally you might also increase your prices a bit and then also decrease a bit. So really trying to be the best offer in the market in a dynamic way makes a lot of sense for very price sensitive items, I guess. So for those items, discounting makes a lot of sense. 
And again, tying things back to the inventory, I mean, for example, nowadays we work with a lot of furniture retailers across the world, mostly in the US, because those guys overstocked after COVID for all the obvious reasons, because they all thought that we will be always be in a lockdown. So we will be always kind of in our homes, in our maybe like terrace, etc. So they thought that all this furniture sales thing online will actually skyrocket, but eventually it didn't. So they are now sitting on a very kind of high amount of dead stock. So for those guys, discounting makes a lot of sense because unless they discount and unless they kind of be okay to give away some of their profit margins, their stock keeping costs are also very high in comparison. So instead of incurring those stock keeping costs, they kind of give away their profit margins by discounting in a smart way. So after all, they profit in a net terms. So all in all, what I'm saying is that if you have any kind of overstock issues, if you are seeing on a dead stock, I think that discounting also makes a lot of sense. And well, well, so, so I know it's not the discounting, it's the opposite, but it, the opposite's overstock, right? As, as you mentioned earlier, if you're yeah, under, yeah. you know, and you suddenly realize, oh, we, we haven't got enough of this, you can raise your price a bit. And exactly. I was going to mention this earlier, actually, but focus on that scarcity. Right? So in, instead of pushing the discount, push the fact mm-hmm. that it's a really popular item, it's selling quickly, yeah. it's going to go out of stock unless people buy it. Do you ever play games like Think Park? Well, occasionally, not that often. Yeah, I used to play okay. it. But yeah, there, there was some of that in there really as well. You'd be mm-hmm. like, I'd be constantly tweaking the price of entry to my park to, mm-hmm. see, to get the maximum people through and then doing the same yep. with all the rides and the other mm-hmm. fruits mm-hmm. and stuff, just tweaking mm-hmm. them slightly to find yeah. the ideal point. Yeah, yeah, great. That's actually what we do. Great summary. I, I, yeah. Yeah, God, that, that brings back some memories. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I also wanted to play afterwards, really. Yeah. Yeah. I remembered all the graphics and everything. That's a good nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to add good the good side of discounting? Again, like I think everything that we spoke about around uh, like bad side of discounting can be also mentioned here. For example, I mentioned that blanket discounting is not the right way to follow. But for example, unless you do blanket discounting, the right way to do is really segmenting your products in your assortment by their pricing characteristics, like price sensitiveness, profitability, etc. And then really coming up with the ideal discounting strategies for all those. Like for some, you shouldn't really discount at all. For some, you should maybe go more aggressive to really grab the kind of attention of the price sensitive buyers. So I think really segmenting products depending on their discounting pricing characteristic is the right way to do this discounting. And also like marketing the discounts is the next step of this, I think. I mean, that's not really our area, but we also touch that occasionally. For example, one key use case that I would like to highlight is we work a lot with merchants who are on Google Shopping and it makes a lot of sense for those because after all, if they list their products on Google Shopping and if they promote those, they kind of promote their prices in most cases because the organic side of Google Shopping is actually a price comparison engine. So you list your offering alongside many others in the market and buyers are occasionally like mostly benchmarking prices against each other. So for example, if you list a product over there and if you really don't optimize your prices, you kind of lose a lot of money because you actually kind of pay per click to be listed there to get clicks and everything. And unless you have the best price or actually a competitive offering there, you eventually get clicks that don't convert. So you actually spend on something that won't convert. You kind of waste your money. But if, for example, you optimize your prices and if you actually highlight 
the items in your assortment who are very competitive and profitable and actually allocate the majority of your paid budget there, you actually get a decent return on investment rather than actually spending on every, every single item. That is actually one key use case that we have been chasing for a while. So really kind of becoming, I mean, not really just positioning ourselves as a pricing automation tool, pricing technology tool, but more like a PPC power-up, if you know what I mean. So actually yeah. we are really trying to take along, I mean, if, if any of those listeners are also coming from that angle, we are really trying to take along with PPC agencies in the UK, in the US, worldwide, to kind of go to their clients together and actually position ourselves like efficiency improvements, I don't know, effectivity improvement, etc. rather than just another optimization sol- solution, which is irrelevant. So this is, I think, also a key part of really pricing marketing, if that's the right way to put it. So discounting marketing. So if you are really discounting, if you are really pricing, I think you should really also work on getting that hurt. And I think Google Shopping is a great example of that. Yeah. I mean, it's where people go, isn't it? And if I land on a website, if I go directly to a retailer, because I know that retailer, I want to have a look, maybe it's not so important because I've chosen to go to that retailer. I probably like them. But yeah, I'm Google shopping. Like I've just done a search for Converse trainers while you were chatting and I could see yeah, Converse have them listed at 60 pounds and ASOS have them at 36. And there's also options around the kind of 35, 40 pound mm-hmm. mark. Right. <laughs> so Maybe they are our clients. I don't know. If it's 35.4 against 36, it looks like that. Yeah. They're all, um, they're, I mean, I think there's kind of a, I think for Converse trainers, there is like an established price that people pay, which is around about the £40 mark. So it's interesting that Converse stick with 60. They obviously sell, but that's the example, right? If I come to this, let's say Converse weren't there. Yeah. One of the options is 55, right? Two well-known brands, JD Sports versus ASOS. Of course, I'm going to go to ASOS. It's the exact same product from two reputable retailers. So price is, in, in this case, in, the, in, in retail, like you said, when loads of, brand, loads of companies are selling the same products, the same brands, price does matter. You don't that race to the bottom, but price is a big thing for customers, isn't it? Well, you know what? I, I obviously understand the resistance about let's say, admitting the value of pricing because I think it's an unsexy subject. It's actually kind of putting you into a kind of low-level position, if that's the right way to put it. But I think it's also impossible to ignore the fact that it matters in also like today's economy, I would say, with all the inflation going on, with all the economic conditions, people are way more price sensitive than before. So I think even if you kind of try to position yourself as a premium retailer, not competing on price, this and that, you cannot really ignore the fact that People are benchmarking prices and if you are way off the market, I mean, you won't really kind of get any value out of that premium positioning. I mean, you can be, again, as we discussed, 5% higher, 10% higher, but not really 50%, I don't know, 60% higher than the other available offer. So absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. There's going to be at the point where people don't care about your premium, exactly. your premium <laughs> brand, like kind of brand experience, because they say, well, yeah, but I can still get the product cheaper. And that's what people are buying, aren't they? Yeah. It's very different for brands who sell their own stuff and they exactly. tie both of those together quite well. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's much more, I think it's much more difficult in retail where unless you can build up like a super loyal community who just mm-hmm. loves your brand, mm-hmm. e- even then us, if it's going to be significantly cheaper somewhere else, yeah, yeah, go there on it. I mean, it's, yeah, it absolutely has a value, but it's not an endless value. I think that's the right way to sum it up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So just before we finish, is there anyone in the e-commerce world that you'd want to sit down for lunch with? Okay. If that can be really anyone, I think I might just choose Jeff Bezos because I, I think we, in the very beginning of our, like, let's say startup, we used to pitch the value proposition as packing Amazon's pricing technology into a software product and catering that to merchants worldwide, all sizes. So kind of equaling, leveling the playing field is what I like to actually speak about. Yeah. And I think learning more about the Amazon side of things, not just pricing, but all the other efficiency stuff that can be kind of packed into a maybe offering and actually became distributed more accessibly would be a good, let's say, business strategy. I think I would love to learn more about him. I mean, we only could have learned whatever is public and it's actually not nothing shy of, I don't know, a meaningful content, but yeah, lunch wouldn't hurt either. Yeah. Awesome. And you've got one final piece of advice for brands listening. Well, I think it might really be biased, but I think I really encourage them to rely on data while they are making their pricing decisions. But actually, I think we can generalize this, not just to stick with pricing. I think I mean, in today's digital marketing, literally in e-commerce, everything is digital. Like almost everything is on a transactional basis, digital basis. We have data flying around. So I would really encourage them to get access and store meaningful data that they can easily get access and store and then actually play around that. Not necessarily apply AI, this and that, but really at least store things on Excel, analyze your data occasionally and actually come up with data-driven decisions rather than actually old school gut feeling sort of stuff because strangely enough, this is still widely popular across especially the SMB space. So companies are still managed by gut feeling, old learnings and stuff, even though we always occasionally say like things are changing, things are changing. People are still relying on their gut feelings. I think we are seeing a lot of, on a lot of meaningful data, even without technologies like ours who are collecting data from the market, we can simply go out and just not go out and just sit, for example, Check out our, let's say, Shopify admin, see what's going on, learn from our own data, experiment, iterate, and really grow our business with a more data-driven approach. So I think I would really encourage merchants of all sizes to be more data-driven, well, because it's really possible and useful. Yeah, no, fantastic. Fantastic. It's really great. Thank you so much, Butch. If anyone wants to reach out and find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Well, I know it might sound cheesy, but I think people can easily find me on LinkedIn by searching for the e-commerce pricing guy. That's my kind of tagline on LinkedIn. So I think if they also type that on Google as the e-commerce pricing guy, I'm both on LinkedIn and Twitter with that tagline. And obviously they can reach out to me via email, which is my name, B-U-R-C at pricing.com, which is our company. But yeah, I think LinkedIn would be the easiest way. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, sharing stuff on pricing. Occasionally on startups, technology, etc., but mostly in the intersection of e-commerce and pricing. So if they are interested in the subject, they can just simply follow. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Cheers. So while you can do this as a brand with your own products, you're going to be relying on a lot of your own data. So you need a lot of it to work out which price points actually sell best at. But in the case of retail, where different businesses are selling exactly the same products, there's an amazing opportunity here with dynamic pricing to keep you ahead of the competition. Just to be clear, as Birch pointed out, you don't have to be the cheapest, but you also don't want to be too much higher than the competition. So the ability to dynamically keep your products within a certain price range is really important. It's, of course, still important to focus on your brand and your business, giving an amazing customer experience, building up those reviews, as this allows you to take that slightly higher price point as well. Or you could say, screw the competition, be both the best and the cheapest. 
If you'd like to learn more about Birch, you can find them on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Courtney Lindau joining me. We're going to be talking about data, tracking and the wonderful world of GA4. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.